From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, OCTA thresholding. You can end up creating vessels where there are none, and you really don't want to do that. I am not a dualist. I do not believe that the world is divided into good and evil, into man and beast, into spiritual and material. But there are times in which black and white has its place. An angiogram is one of these. The angiogram consists of vessels and not vessels, and there can be nothing in between. This sounds like a trivial matter, particularly in the case of OCTA, based as it is upon OCT, which is an entirely digital and therefore quantitative measurement. However, the challenge of distinguishing vessels from not vessels in OCTA is not to be taken lightly. A misdesignation can lead to a misdiagnosis, and so establishing this dichotomy has immediate clinical relevance. Nadia Wahid has taken on this challenge in her recent study of OCTA thresholding, and I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Wahid as my guest today. Although the majority of listeners to this podcast are well aware of OCTA, for the minority who are not, can I get you to explain what OCTA is? Um, yeah, sure. So OCTA or OCT angiography is a non-invasive way of performing angiography using OCT without the use of extraneous dyes, uh, such as you, what you use in fluorescein or ICG. And what happens in OCT angiography is that you get multiple OCTs at the same area, and then computationally, you look for the differences in the OCTs. And, and really, uh, when you're looking at OCT images, because all the structures in the eye are static, nothing in the eye is moving except for blood, right? So when you look for computational differences between the different OCTs, uh, the differences are areas where blood is flowing. And so you can generate a vascular map of the back of the eye uh, just by getting multiple structural images and, and doing what's called a decorrelation algorithm between them. Um, and that uh, gives you uh, kind of a mapping of the blood vessels in the back of the eye. And of course, uh, because you're looking at OCT images that are really high resolution, similarly, the map tends to be uh, you know, a pretty high resolution, much more so than our traditional dye-based imaging modalities. Um, and it tends to map out the microvasculature really well. Um, and it's also three-dimensional because, uh, again, OCT is a three-dimensional uh, kind of an imaging. Uh, and so the, the vascular map that you generate also tends to be three-dimensional. And it's almost like you can peel off one layer after the other, after the third, and see all the different layers of the retinal vessels in there. Let me drill down just a, just a, just a little bit here. We think of of OCTA as as angiography generally as an imaging of of blood vessels, but that that's not really what the case is with with OCTA, right? I mean, if it if if there is a vessel in which there is no flow, it's not going to image on OCTA. Is is that and am I right about that? Absolutely correct. Exactly. So exactly what you said, OCT and geography is actually an imaging of blood flow rather than of blood vessels. Um, and so there, so vessels that are non-perfused, for example, don't tend to show up on OCT and geography. Um, also, you know, vessels or structures in the eye that have very, very slow flow may not be picked up by OCT and geography because the, the flow may be so slow that it almost may appear when you're getting OCT and geography that, that, that it's static. And therefore, you won't be able to uh, to image those areas. Uh, so yes, it is it is a map of the blood flow through the vasculature of the eye more so than than of the vessels themselves. Let me ask you something sort of 
technical and it's it's pertinent to to what we're going to be talking about later this is you know ju- not just technical for technical sake when an OCTA 3D image is is constructed is 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 synthesized it's done so by melding a, a series of of planar scans how does the machine how does the 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 software know to to connect um a, a single vessel between planes yeah so that's a that's a great question you know what happens is it's almost like it's almost like squashing a bug right so what you're doing is you're um you're just looking at the at the vessels as they happen in the three dimensional planes and then you're collapsing that into a into a two dimensional image um and so uh, that is you know one of the things uh, that you see when you're trying to collapse a three dimensional um, angiographic image into a two-dimensional image. Sometimes you'll see, um, for example, the intermediate plexus and the or, or the or the deep retinal capillary plexus and the superficial capillary plexus kind of together, and you'll see more vessels than you would expect to see in any one of the plexuses, uh, for example. Um, but uh, but that's really um, you know it's really just collapsing a three-dimensional image into a two-dimensional image, and sometimes the connectivity may not make sense when you look at it um, in that way. Now people have looked at ways of um, you know, making the vessels connect, such as looking at vessel nest filters, for example. Uh, but generally, most OCT and geography uh, algorithms don't apply those kind of filters to the processed images uh, because of the fact that then you can end up creating vessels where there are none, and you really uh, don't want to do that. You don't want to kind of fake create vessels um, by using, you know, processing algorithms that uh, that would that would help make sense where you don't see connection between vessels. Nadia, so the, the I I can I can understand that we we can have a whole conversation with things like uh, uh, melding these different planes, but we're we're going to be talking about something even more fundamental than 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 that, which is this: OCTA images. Unlike OCT images, OCTA images are pure black and white, in which the value of a pixel indicates whether it represents vessel or not vessel, or, 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 or as you said more properly, that it represents flow or not flow. Black and white images in which pixels have values of only zero or one are called binarized images. What are the technical problems with producing a binarized image in the context of OCTA? Yeah, so th- this is a really interesting uh, you know, problem when you, when you talk about uh, OCT and geography. Uh, and there are actually two levels to the problem. Uh, the first level is actually um, looking at the raw data that you get. Um, and the raw data tends to be much more noisy in certain areas than it tends to be in other areas. For example, the raw data in, in the Corea Capillaris uh, tends to have much more noise because uh, typically in, in our most of our commercial devices, there's much less signal penetrating uh, beneath the RPE, so there does tend to be more noise. And then there does in the retinal vasculature. Um, and so one of the things that's done with the, with the raw data uh, as it's processed to kind of figure out whether um, you have uh, vessels or not is that a certain kind of threshold is applied, right? So, um, so you would say that, you know, if I see signal above this particular level, I'm going to interpret it as uh, being flow and therefore it will be white. Um, and if, if I see a signal below this level, uh, then it's going to be black and, and that means that there's no flow. Now, of course, there's there's a lot of you can set thresholds at various different levels. So typically, for example, the choroidal threshold, because the choroidal vasculature, especially the choroidal capillaries, 
tends to have more noisy signal tends to be a different threshold than the threshold that you apply on the retina. And that's, uh, and then that, that threshold is then used to generate the image that you see. Now, when we process the, you know, the, the grayscale images that you get on the OCT and geography machine, especially to run quantification, we do another kind of uh, processing called binarization in which, again, the grayscale image is converted into a straight black and uh, white image. And again, the, there's another kind of threshold involved over here where you say anything that's whiter than this will be considered slow. And anything that's not, uh, you know, the, anything that's below this level is going to be considered non-slow. Uh, and, and where you set the threshold for that binarization and how you set the threshold uh, means that it determines how much flow you're missing or how much false flow you're seeing, right? So the false negatives and the false positives depend a large amount on this threshold. If your threshold uh, is very strict, uh, where you want to make sure that you're only seeing uh, areas that for sure are vessels, then there's a chance that you'll miss some of the smaller microvasculature, right? And if your threshold is too low, uh, where you're basically allowing in anything that has uh, any level of white, then you'll end up having a very, uh, what's called an in quotes noisy image, where you're seeing a lot of stuff that's, that's not vasculature. So the process of thresholding both of the raw data, which is something that we don't really see a lot, uh, you know, that happens in the back end of the machines, um, and then of thresholding the resultant output that you get, uh, it's really important when you're quantifying these images because these thresholding techniques that you use uh, can make a huge difference. And then, you know, not only do you set a particular standard for thresholding, there are also other computations that you can apply on top of that, right? Uh, so there are some thresholds, for example, uh, that will look at each area of an image and threshold each area differently. Uh, and that kind of thresholding um, is, uh, uh, you know, a means that not a uniform threshold is applied to the entire image. And, and in a way, that's nice, right? Because areas of, of the image that have more shadowing or that have, um, you know, less good signal uh, probably need a different threshold than areas of the image that have great signal. But it also means that you're introducing more variability in the overall thresholding process. And so while the image... Uh, that that thresholds uh, in different local areas of of your larger image is great when you're looking at qualitative images and makes the images look beautiful. That kind of algorithm can be really a minefield when you're quantifying these thresholds um, because it means that you're you're running a different threshold at each area and therefore the quantific metrics that you get may be very different uh, depending on what which threshold you run in which area of the image. That was really really good. What 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 I want to do is is, is restate. It sort of for my own self in my own mind, um, what what you you just said, and I just 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 correct me if I if I have this 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 wrong. One sort of gross way of thinking of thresholding is for those listeners who have done B scans, um, you can turn the B scan gain up or the B scan gain down, and basically what what that's doing is it's changing the threshold on the on the B scan, and it can make the um, image brighter, but also more noisy. And uh, with B scans, and certainly with OCTA, there are areas of the image, there are areas of the scan that would benefit from a high gain. There are areas that, that are clearer when the gains turn down. And it's possible, as you said, to uh, sort of alter this gain, alter the, the thresholding in a more local fashion in different parts of the 
image. But the downside of doing that is, is that it then becomes very difficult to get, number one, a quantitative metric for uh, things like vascular density. Uh, and number two, because you're doing this on an individual basis with different images, it becomes much harder then to, to compare images between patients in terms of some sort of quantitative value or even uh, uh, to compare images in a single patient over different points of, of time in which the OCTA quality and the brightness and the signal strength may vary. Absolutely. I mean, spot on. And I think that it becomes, and, and then, uh, you know, even just like you said, even within a patient itself on multiple visits, if there are different uh, ways of enhancing are being applied uh, to a patient's images, um, you know, then, then, then you worry about, about what you will see between one visit and the other. So, I mean, part of this, you know, uh, this enhancement of the image that happens is a little bit of a black box because it happens within, uh, you know, the machine itself. And, and we're not quite sure, um, you know, what proprietary algor algorithms the different companies are applying to kind of produce the nicer images that you see. Uh, but, but especially when you start then doing research on these images, um, you know, and you're pulling them out and, and using them uh, to derive meaningful metrics. For example, you're trying to correlate vessel density with severity of diabetic retinopathy. Uh, then it becomes even more important because now there are lots of different manipulations that you can do uh, and that people do and that, um, you know, really can alter the results that you get if you're not uh, careful and cognizant of, of what you're doing. This is a subject that you've studied. Can I get you to describe the design of your study? Um, absolutely. So uh, in, in our study, uh, one of the things that we did uh, was that we uh, actually it was a, it was a, it's published as a series of papers, really. But one of the things that we did was we acquired uh, multiple scans uh, on the same people. Uh, and, and we started out with normal healthy controls because that's the one. Those are the people in whom you expect to have the least variation on OCT and geography. We acquired multiple scans uh, on the same people uh, on various different machines. Uh, and in this specific part of the study, what we did was we uh, took the same scans and we ran various different processing algorithms on them. Uh, so we uh, varied the brightness of the image just by you know putting it into an image processing software and, and turning up or turning down the brightness. Uh, we varied the contrast of the image, uh, similar to what you would do, you know, on a regular photo as you're trying to uh, kind of manipulate the photo and make it look better. We varied the contrast, we varied the brightness, um, and then we uh, applied various different uh, binarization uh, algorithms uh, to the images, um, and this uh, could include, you know, or binarization strategies such as using the Otsu or just using a global uh, thresholding uh, strategy to binarize or using local thresholding strategies to binarize. Uh, so we ran a bunch of these different algorithms all on the same images. Um, and then we got a, went ahead and got uh, the quantific metrics such as vessel density, uh, vessel skeleton density, uh, looking at intercapillary areas in these images in their various different forms. Uh, the native images uh, just binarized by uh, applying a global threshold, the native images binarized by applying local thresholds, uh, or the various uh, native images that then had their brightness and contrast turned up or down and then had thresholding applied to them. And what was really interesting was that we found that you can really vary these metrics uh, by applying these different strategies, and especially uh, if, you're, uh, if you're altering the contrast or the brightness of the image, uh, that makes a huge difference in terms of the quantific metrics uh, that we get. And because we're so used to just you know, altering brightness and contrast on images because we do it with our, you know, with our photos that we get on the iPhone or, uh, you know, any any of, uh, you know, any of the 
processing that we do, uh, we often don't think about this when we're, you know, when we're analyzing images for research. Uh, we, we can do this inadvertently and make images look, uh, you know, brighter or darker uh, and then run our, our, our uh, thresholding strategies on them. Uh, but it does make a huge difference, a very statistically significant difference uh, in terms of the quantific metrics uh, that you get. And the reason that becomes even more interesting is because I see a lot of, you know, I see a lot of papers that um, that get reviewed, um, and and some of these papers tend to have varying results. Um, but when you look carefully at, um, you know, the the processing strategies uh, that have been applied uh, in the background, uh, you realize that sometimes people will just, you know, vary brightness and vary contrast just to make the image look better before they start running processing on it, without realizing that that profoundly alters what you're going to get in terms of the quantific metrics and therefore uh, the results of, of, of your studies. Yeah, that, that's a that's a great, great point. And it's not just just studies. I mean, we're, we're we, as it it always strikes me as ironic that we were we're getting these images that are highly, highly, highly quantitative, but then we're employing them in an entirely qualitative way. We, we look at it and we say, oh, you know, there's this loss that looks it looks you know, the, the, there's a, there's a there's a paucity of vessels or not a paucity, and there are all of these very very subjective qualitative terms, and that what what we'd like to do is to have quantitative metrics in the same way that we do with OCT with glaucoma, where we're we're talking about nerve fiber layer thickness, but then applying these these metrics in the context of OCTA turns out to be an, an incredibly, incredibly challenging problem. Now, I, I, I wear many hats, Nadia, and one of the hats that, that, that I wear is as a data scientist. And as a data scientist, we, we often talk about something called ground truth. And ground truth is what we feel that, that, that the objective truth is. And in this case, what I'm interested in is when you're talking about looking at vascular density or the different metrics or you know what what the what the reality of the the vascular network is how do you determine ground truth how do you know what what are you comparing these images against yeah so that's a that's a really interesting question and that's something that i think we talk about all the time in in ocd and geography um so um it is really hard to have any kind of a ground truth in these in these images, right? So, so just going all the way back to the basics, though, um, we do know that vessels have a particular structure that has been shown in you know various different various different studies that have looked at say macaw retinas and and have um, you know and have done costs of the superficial and the deep plexuses, uh, right? So uh, when we compare those to the images that we're getting on OCT and geography. Uh, we do find that the OCD and geography images are very close qualitatively to the images that you would get on histopathology. Um, so, so far, so good as far as knowing that we are actually looking uh, at a reasonable approximation of, of what you would see on histopathology and probably a better approximation uh, than you get, say, in fluorescein angiography, which it's been shown that only images, the larger blood vessels and the more superficial blood vessels, better. The microvasculature and the deeper blood vessels uh, often get left out on fluorescein or on ICJ angiography, right? So from that perspective, we have that ground truth to go back to. Uh, similarly, we've looked at the choriocapillaris images, and certainly as we get higher and higher resolution images from OCD and geography, they look very similar to the histopathologic images that we see, right? So we do have that form of ground truth. 
Um, but the quantification, which is really very important, right? Because at the end of the day, you want to have a map like a retinal thickness map and to be able to correlate that with, with, clinical, uh, with clinical parameters and, and clinical prognosis. That's a little bit more challenging because um, measurements that you get in histopathology um, don't, don't always necessarily tend to be the ground truth because the tissue has been manipulated in various ways. So, so you can get some approximations, but it's not necessarily... Uh, you know, you have no way of touching the ground truth. So then you go back to, you know, we have this data. We have no way of determining what the app. We know that it it probably relatively approximates what you what what you're supposed to be seeing, but we have no way of touching the ground truth. So then, how do we try to figure out uh, what is the you know what is the best, uh, which ones are the best metrics? So invariably, if you have something that's very variable and is not repeatable. Uh, in that, you know, if you have a metric uh, and you uh, scan someone again and again and again and again, uh, and you get a different value of the metric every time you're scanning the person, uh, that clearly is not is not an accurate metric, right? That if a metric is very variable, it's not repeatable or reproducible. Uh, it probably may give you an estimation of the ground truth, but not a great estimation. Uh, so then the other thing you look for is repeatability and reproducibility. So if a metric is repeatable, uh, in that if you get it multiple times, uh, and especially if you get it across various different machines, uh, and it pretty much uh, looks the same across various different machines and across various different measurements or various different ways of thresholding and binarization, uh, then there's there's a good chance um, that, you know, at least you're approximating something reasonably well. Now, it could be completely off. You could just be approximating noise reasonably well, right, and, and doing it repeatably and reproducibly. Uh, but But at least you're getting the same results or close to the same results every single time. So so something that's not repeatable and reproducible, you might as well throw it out because it's not useful. For something that's repeatable and reproducible, you then want to see whether you then, you know, you, you know that you're measuring something, you then want to see if that measures uh, something that approximates the truth or whether it's just, you know, measuring some random thing accurately, but 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 it's not measuring what you wanted to measure accurately. For example, measuring noise as opposed to measuring vessel density. Um, so then the next step uh, is to see in a cross-sectional way if the metric that you're looking at correlates to normality and disease, right? So if I have, say, a vessel metric uh, after binarizing and thresholding in a particular way uh, that appears to be better in normals, and then we know histopathologically ground truth that, that you have vessel dropout in very severe diabetic retinopathy or in proliferative diabetic retinopathy. I find that that vessel metric is, it goes down quite a bit uh, when I look at, at patients with proliferative diabetic retinopathy and in severe non-proliferative and I'm able to repeat and reproduce it. Uh, so if it will correlates cross-sectionally to disease, then you know that it's probably a reasonably good metric that's approximating the ground truth because it's repeatable and reproducible and correlates with um, you know, with disease. Now, the third step, of course, outside of looking at it cross-sectionally, is to look at this longitudinally, right, and to follow patients up over time and see whether as you see a patient worsening, you can see this metric getting worse. Um, and that really would be our best and closest approximation to ground truth, because that's really the only way we have of accessing ground truth. Uh, and those longitudinal studies still have to be performed. So we do have you know, we do now have a good idea of things that are repeatable and reproducible. Uh, you know, we do have a fairly good idea of how these metrics change with disease and that, that you know, and, and what things you must do and must not do when you're, when you're um, analyzing these metrics 
uh, to see how, you know, to, to get a reasonable approximation of ground truth. But I think the longitudinal studies still need to happen. And when those longitudinal studies happen, I think that's when you can bring this back in clinic and correlate it with patients and use it to counsel patients and or guide treatment at that point. You have an algorithm or methodology is really a better way of putting it, uh, of thresholding um, images that, that, that you're that you're working with this is what what you what you talked about in the in the paper um, OCTA is available now on a number of devices made by different manufacturers how generalizable do you think your findings are uh, to devices other than the one that you used um, so in our study, uh, we, we didn't just look at our prototype devices, but we did actually um, use images from all the platforms that are, you know, FDA approved in the U.S. Um, and we got images from all of those um, and applied these uh, quantific metrics uh, to all of those. Um, so I think that the, the, the results uh, actually are pretty generalizable, um, as you would expect them to be, right? Because, um, again, I think the bigger conclusion is if you perform too many manipulations on these images, um, you may be uh, you may be creating uh, false data, or you may be getting false metrics um, that you know will not approximate the ground truth and will not uh, you know be uh, repeatable and reproducible uh, as well as approximating the ground truth. I think what also happens is um, people look at all of this variability um, and they get scared, right? Um, I often see people saying, "Well, you know, there's you know throwing their hands up and saying, well, there's so much variability and there's so many.'" ways of getting it wrong, um, can we trust it and why should we bother, right? Um, but I think it's great that we're looking at and, and analyzing all the complexity that happens with these images and really laying out a roadmap for best practices uh, for analyzing these images because this is really valuable data. Um, and I think it's really important for people to kind of understand all of the nuances that come with uh, analyzing this data. And, you know, I've, I've talked um, for a long time about, um, you know, I think that we need to get together and do a consensus on what the best practices are for analyzing this data. And I think there are several different initiatives uh, that have been taking place around this uh, just to make sure that, um, you know, that when we're looking at this data and analyzing it and generating metrics that we're doing so in a reasonable and responsible uh, manner and, um, you know, and, and following uh, best practice guidelines and hopefully generating some of these best practice guidelines. But but I want but what I just want to say is, um, you know, don't get scared away by the complexity because this is really cool, really valuable, really interesting data that we really haven't been able to get in vivo ever before. You know, uh, previously you would only be able to look at the microvasculature in this way um, in histopathologic specimens, and now you can get it in, in, in real live living human beings. You can see how it changes over time. It's just absolutely fascinating to, to look at all of this and, uh, and to research it. So don't, don't get scared by the complexity, I think is my big message. Nadi, this is wonderful stuff. I, I, I love this study. It's really, really, really interesting. It, it, it checks both of my tick marks, which is, is that it's clinically relevant and it's totally geeky. And uh, I, I just want to thank you for the generosity of the time that you've spent with me today. Josh, thank you so much for, for doing this. It's really exciting. And, you know, thank you for taking on this initiative and doing these phenomenal podcasts. I always love listening to yours, and I wait for the new ones to come out. Nadia Wahid is Associate Professor in Ophthalmology at the Tufts University Medical Center in Boston, Massachusetts. Her paper, 
impact of binarization thresholding and brightness contrast adjustment methodology on optical coherence tomography and geography image quantification appears in the September 2019 issue of the American Journal of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Wahid or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.